49 last night in Florida. Yeah, everybody, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Hey, everybody online, big hello to all of you that are joining us uh, online. We're so glad that you're a part of our service as well. So we're walking through the seven rhythms uh, that have sort of built the Rooted series that we're going through, the Rooted study that we're going through in our groups. And so last week we talked about generosity. You know, we call it sacrificial. Uh, We tend to make things about us, right? And so, you know, when you use the phrase sacrificial generosity, it, it, it puts the spotlight on what you're willing to give when in reality, right, giving, our giving should be in response to the sacrifice of Jesus, right? It's not sacrificial to give. And we ask the question, what wouldn't, listen, what wouldn't you give to the person that's made sure that you can spend eternity in heaven, right? What wouldn't you put out there as opposed to what would I give? The question should be, what wouldn't we give? And so to, to, tonight we're going to talk about another one of those rhythms, right? And this one is about serving, about serving. So everybody online, everybody here, let me ask you a question. Show of hands here. How many of you have served, right, served Jesus by serving other people? All right, most of you. That's awesome. So we don't need to preach about this. We can just go home. Everybody good? All right. So serving, right? We talk about it, especially here at Tomoka, we talk about it all the time, right? We talk about serving and serving and serving and serving, right? I just want to point out a few things about serving, right? We're not going to spend our night in one text. We're going to spend our night looking at two or three different ones to sort of build a picture of where service comes from. So in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus, right, who's, who's the author of the book of Revelation that John pins for him, right? It says in Revelation 1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? And in Revelation 2, he begins to address seven churches, right, that are actual churches in Asia Minor. And one of the first, well, the first church he addresses is the church in Ephesus, church that Paul planted on his missionary journey. When he went to Ephesus, he plants this church. And we have a letter called Ephesians in the Bible, right? Um, and it's based upon Paul writing to that church right after it was planted. But in Revelation, when Jesus addresses this church... Right, Nearly 40 years after they were first birthed by Paul, he says to this church, he says, man, I know, I know of your hard work, right? I know of your service. I know of your patient endurance. I even know of your hatred toward those who do evil. But then he says this, he says, but this one thing I have against you, you're a church that serves but you're a church that's fallen out of love with Jesus. It's a pretty serious condemnation. And the reality is, I wonder if sometimes our service in church is more about that than it is about being in love with our Savior. And so I just want to spend some time tonight. We're just going to look at some of some scriptures and, and walk through this. Listen, if you're, if you're new here, welcome. We spend a little more time. I spend a little more time, um, on Wednesday nights than we get a chance to do often on the weekend. We try to get a little bit deeper 
If you're watching online, if you're new here, you can always find the notes. We don't hand them out. You can always find them through the Version Bible app. Just get it up. Find events uh, or live events. Just click on that. You'll see a picture of Florida. And you can just click on Tomoka Christian Church. The notes are always there. All right? So we're going to just break this down in three steps. Okay? So here's the first step about serving. Everybody say it with me. Come on, say it again. Set free. So I'm an order guy, right? I like order. And what I mean by order, I like steps, right? Step one, step two, step three. Everybody with me, right? Listen, step two, step two doesn't mean anything if you skip step one. Who's my, who's my people, right? Listen, order matters. And here's why I love order, because it's godly. So those of you that love chaos, we're praying for you in Jesus' name, right? But 1 Corinthians 14, says that our God is not a God of confusion, but our God is a God of order, right? Our God is about order. And that word order is about, subse- is about sequential order, right? This is the way our God works, right? Which is why the word of God is so so important to study because listen, you're not going to get chaos in here. You're going to see a lot of human chaos. You're not going to see any chaos from God. He's very ordered. God's economy, the way he lays it out, it's very well known, right? And God's a God who believes in order. I believe that for you and me to serve, other people, the way the Bible asks us to serve other people begins with this first step, and that's set free. Let me read a scripture to you. This is in Mark chapter 10. We're going to read 35 through 45. So James and John, brothers, right? Sons of Zebedee, sons of Thunder, they came to Jesus. Now listen, some of us have a hard time praying. Anybody struggle with praying, communicating to God, like talking to Jesus? These people walked with him, right? Our Savior, they walked with him, and this is how they talked to him, okay? So if Jesus doesn't zap these people with lightning, there's a good chance that what you say won't cause him to do that either, right? Because listen to what these people say to him. This is to Jesus. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, Right? And then this is their ask, right? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. (laughs) Here's what they said. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Hang on, hang on. Bring that verse back up. So how many of you went to a church or ever been to a church where it was an old-fashioned, styly church where the communion table set up front and there were two chairs on either side of it? Anybody go to that church, right? And the elders set up in that those churches, right? And everybody revered those people because one was on the right and one was on the left. And if you were one of those people that sat in that chair, listen, I'm not making fun of you, okay? But there was a, there was an image in that, right? There was a, there was a reality that those two people sitting in the right hand and the left hand, they had some power and authority in the church, right? They said, we want to sit at your right and left. We want those seats of power right next to you. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, right? And then it goes on and he asked him, can you drink the cup I drink? Or can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So he's asking him, right? You want to sit there, but are you really willing to pay the price that it takes to have that seat? 
right? Because the seat, the seat itself is a given. It's earned. And here's how it's earned. You got to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with. You got to drink the cup that I'm going to drink. And we're going to, we're going to see what that is because Jesus is going to say it to him, right? He said, <laughs> you got to love James and John. Everybody makes fun of Peter. You got to love James and John. Right? James and John's mom, right? They, she's up there. You talk about millennial parents going on interviews with kids. James and John's mom did the same thing, right? This was back when Jesus was allowed. And here's what these people said. We can. Absolutely we can. That's going to be no problem for us, right? Jesus said to them, you will. You are going to drink the cup I drink. And you are going to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. He goes on to say, but to sit at my right or to my left, that's not for me to give away. He says, those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. He goes on to say this. Listen, you can imagine this, right? These are just teenage boys. These are good Jewish teenage boys. And you got two of them up there in Jesus' ear going, we want to be the most important people in your life. What do you think the other 10 were thinking? We're going to kill these guys, right? Like, so these 10 heard about it. They were indignant. Again, that Greek word indignant means that they were basically saying, what you're saying to Jesus is killing us. That's how angry we are, right? They became indignant with James and John. Makes sense, right? And Jesus called all of them now together. So the two have caused the problem for the 12. And Jesus calls them all together. And here's what he says. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, right? Being in a seat, being in a position of honor matters in the Gentile world. Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, everybody read this with me, everybody online. He says, instead, whoever wants to become among you must be your servant. Leave that verse. That word servant is in the Greek doulos. It means bond servant. It actually means slave. You have foregone your rights of self-governance and you've given that authority to somebody else. He says in the world, the system is the higher you are, the more people will serve you. But he says, not so for you. He says, if you want to be great, if you want to have the high and lofty seat at my right and my left, he says, you've got to become a slave. And then he goes on to say this, and whoever wants to be first must be, now he just says it plainly, you got to be a slave. To who? Who? (laughs) You want to fix your marriage? Practice that verse, right? You want to fix your broken relationships? Practice that verse. Right? When you, when you decide that you have no rights of self-governance and you become a slave of all, you can fix almost any relationship there is in your world that's broken. It's only when you define, when you decide to demand what you want as a non-slave that things get complicated. Yes? Right? But Jesus said that's not the way it should be for us. He says this. For even the Son of Man, Right? Philippians tells us that Jesus, being equal with God, did not consider something, that's something to hold on to. Listen, he got the title. He was, according to John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what? Was God. 
And Philippians says he didn't, he didn't consider that something to hang on to. Instead, he gave it away. He surrendered his right to self-governance, not as you, not as me, but as God. Son of man didn't come to be served. This was God coming in the flesh. If there was any man that deserved to be served, it was Jesus. He said he didn't come to be served, right? He didn't come to have other people be slaves to him. It says, but instead he came to what? Serve. Do that. Oh, from the Greek word doulos, which means to be a slave. He came to be a slave and to give his life as a what? Ransom for many. The Greek word ransom is a word in the Greek that describes payment that you would make to somebody to buy a slave's freedom. So here's what he said. I'm God in the flesh. And even I didn't come to lord it over people to serve me. He said, instead, I came to allow other people to lord it over me and to become a slave to all of these people. And why? Because my job was to give my life so slaves could be set free. And all of us in here and everybody online that has been set free by Jesus said what? Amen. Amen. Because listen, in our life prior to Jesus, and you may not like this if you're in here and you're not a believer, or if you're watching online and you're not a believer. But the reality is, if you don't know Jesus, you are a slave to the law of sin and death. Because nobody in here and nobody watching online or nobody watching this later through any of those things that we put it out on, none of us are guiltless. We are all sinners. Every one of us, we've all done wrong. Yes or no? And here's what the Bible says. In the law of sin and death, you're now a slave to the result of that sin. Which the Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. We're now slave to that process. Every person, everybody in here and everybody online knows this. You've all known the right thing to do and still not done it sometimes. Yes or no? And every one of us in here and online have known the wrong thing to do and did it anyway. Yes or no? The Bible says that when that takes place, you and I now become beholden to the debt, which is death. We're slaves. Here's what Jesus did. He became our slave so that he could give his life to set us free. Come on, man. Say it. Say it. Amen. Listen, I'm here 13 years. And people say this about me all the time. Cord's the preacher of grace. He just preaches grace. Grace, 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 grace. Right? And you want to know why I preach grace all the time? Because I am convinced until Christians actually understand the power of grace, they'll never become what God wants them to become. Because we live in a world, as human beings, we want to measure everything. We measure everything. I mean, look at the stupid inventions that we have across the world to measure everything. We are a measuring bunch of people. And you know what we measure most? Ourselves. We're constantly measuring ourselves. Maybe we measure ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. But we constantly measure ourselves to see if we're living up, doing enough. And it's permeated the church world for centuries. We are a group of people that believes that God's grace will save us. But it is our effort and our performance that will keep us saved. And that is a perverted gospel. 
Because the Bible says you are saved by grace and that is not of yourself. So every believer in here and online that has ever perverted the gospel to believe that I got to mind my P's and Q's. I got to dot every I and cross every T so that I keep my salvation. That is a perverted gospel. Your salvation was secured upon the cross when Jesus died for you and paid your ransom and it was secured forever when the tomb was empty. Somebody say amen. And listen, here's the reality. If you don't live in that grace, you'll never learn to be free. Because you will fight, you know, in business, there's books out, all kinds of books. They're written for churches too. Matter of fact, they had a conference. They had a conference. Um, I don't know if it was in, if it, if it was in, um, it was a, in, here in Florida. Had a conference just a few weeks ago. And there was the title of the conference, Mission Drift. How not to drift from your mission. Because everything that you read and study will tell you this. If you're not diligent about your mission, if you're not diligent about what's the most important thing, we'll all adrift from it, right? Anybody here ever try to lose weight? Anybody here ever try to exercise regularly and fail at both? Because it is easy to drift, is it not? Man, it is so easy to drift. It is easy to drift in our Christian faith. And we always drift back to what is comfortable. For some of us, it's the recliner. For some of us, it's sugar. For some of us, it's pizza. But whatever it is, we have to fight the natural tendency of our nature to drift. You know what the natural tendency of all believers is to drift to? That I've got to earn this. I've got to pray more. I've got to read more. Did you see that person? Do you know what they're doing? I thought they were saved. we got to get past that. Because the reality is, your freedom was secured by a ransom you couldn't pay and I couldn't pay. It was secured by a, by a, by a man who the Bible says was God and didn't hang on to it and said emptied himself so he could die as a slave to you and me. And God went, I'll accept that payment and it'll last forever and it'll cover every sin of the believer. Somebody say amen. Listen, the reality is you should never, ever tire of hearing that. Because Titus writes it, right? Titus says in chapter 2, starting in verse 13, he says, for, for he says, the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation to those people. If grace didn't appear, we wouldn't be saved. And then he says this, and it is grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You want to know how to be a better Christian? How to say no more to yourself? Learn more about grace. You're not going to learn how to say no in a hellfire and damnation church. Because my guess is some of you were raised by hellfire and damnation people and you still found a way to do what was wrong. And my guess is that some of you have raised children and you want to give them the hellfire and damnation speech. And every time you try to, they just rebel a little bit more. Because it doesn't work. You know what teaches us to grow up in our faith? Knowing what grace does for us. It saves us in spite of ourselves. You and I have been set free. And you know how long we've been set free? Come on, say it. Come on, say it like you mean it. Forever. You have got to fight the tendency to believe that you've earned something that you can never earn. You earn something. Bible says you earned death. You earned slavery to that debt. You can't pay it. Because once unperfect, you can't ever be made perfect by your performance. Only through Jesus. Only through Jesus, right? 
Then I want you to listen to this verse. Skip, skip the Hebrews passage, David, and go to Galatians 4. So Paul writes to a church, Galatia. Plants this church in the, in the, in the area of Galatia. False teachers come in. The Jews come in. And the Jews are telling all of these Gentile believers, listen, if you accept Jesus and don't get circumcised and follow the law of Moses, you ain't saved. All of this happened after Paul left. Paul preaches God. He preaches Jesus. He preaches grace. And these people respond to the message. And the churches are started in that area. And then the false teachers come in and go, hang on a second. He preached the gospel, but it wasn't complete. He didn't tell you you need to be circumcised. And these people began to believe they got to be circumcised. And Paul writes this letter after hearing about this atrocity. And he writes this, he writes, an, he writes a beautiful letter to him, right? But he says this in chapter 4, verse 31. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, meaning Hagar in the context, but we are of the free woman, which is Sarah. You and I are not slaves anymore to the bondage of our debt of sin. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, right? You realize that the debt that you were required to pay, which was to die for your sin, has already been taken care of by Jesus. You know that, yes or no? You believe that, yes or no? Do you live in that every single time you mess up, yes or no? You got to. Because he says, we're not of the slave woman, we're of the free woman. Then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 5. It is for Freedom, right? William, William Wallace, it. Give it the best brave heart imitation you've got, right? It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then. And he says this, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of what? So he says this, you're not only set free, you got to stay free. You got to stay free. Because his natural tendency is, I'll, listen, if you've, if you, if you can remember what it was like to accept Jesus and to surrender in faith to him and get baptized by him and what that did for you, if you can remember that, just say amen. Right? Hallelujah. Right? What an amazing thing. Right? But everything within the kingdom of darkness is designed to make you and I go back into slavery. Because every time we do, we negate the truth about grace. And listen, I've said this before. All Satan wants is for you to give him some of what God wants, which is worship. All Satan wants is there to be room for two gods. That's all he wants. Because if Satan can make room for two gods, then guess what? There's only one God. Because two in God's world, doesn't work. Because God said, thou shalt have what? No other gods. None. You see, Satan doesn't need to be top dog. He just needs to share the billing. It's all he wants. And you know how we give him authority in that? Believers, we give it to him by perverting the gospel and not being free. And listen, I'm going to tell you this as a person who... who who struggled. Listen, I graduated from Bible college. I was a genius when I graduated from Bible college. <laughs> if you don't believe me, just ask Joe. He'll tell you, right? I had a box full of awards from Bible college. And yet I had no idea when I left Bible college how to live free. Because the first time I messed up and messed up in a big way, it took me seven years to figure out how to get out of it. Because even after a Bible college education... All I knew was that Jesus died for me 
Somehow, innately in me, I knew I had to do something to keep it. And I couldn't. And when I couldn't figure out how to do it, I just wandered further and further away. And got more angry and more angry and more angry. Because the natural tendency is to pervert the gospel and go freedom, slave, freedom, slave, freedom, slave. And the reality is we don't ever, ever have to do that. So I'm going to tell you this as a, as a converted person who now lives entirely free. Listen, I make mistakes, right? And I have to deal with some of the consequences of my choices. But I will never, ever, ever let Satan ever convince me I'm not saved. And I will never, ever carry the burden of unforgiveness in my life. Because my Savior died for me. And he told me that he forgave me. And he told me he died once. And he told me that lasts forever. And I will never, ever doubt him again on that. But I'm telling you, if you live that way, church people are going to hate you. They're going to look down their nose at you and they're going to think there's something wrong with you. Because you're just not taking this stuff serious enough. You should feel a lot worse about these things. I'm going to tell you right now. If Jesus died for you and you acknowledge your sin before him. Paul said, the one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I what? I press on what's ahead. For some of you, the only reason the Christian life has been such a burden to you is because everywhere you go, you bring everything in your past with you. And maybe for some of you, you don't bring everything. You just bring the one thing, right? You just bring the one thing, right? I bring the divorce with me. I bring the adultery with me. I bring the addiction with me. I bring the moral failure with me. I bring the insecurity. I bring whatever that thing is, I bring it with me. And everywhere you go and every relationship you have, you bring that with you. And guess what? It makes it really hard to live well in the present. But Paul said, you got to press on and you can't press on by dragging. You got to press on by letting go, right? You've been set free, but don't let yourself be brought again into a yoke of slavery. And here's how he describes it in Galatians five. He says, this is how it works. Paul said this, he's talking to Christians, right? Gentile believers. They weren't raised by the law. They weren't raised in the temple. They weren't raised by the Torah. They weren't raised by the Ten Commandments. Paul went in and preached to these people that have been outcast their entire lives from being included in God's family. And he told them the message of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And they went, we want that. And the Jews went in and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Halfway there, we got to convert you to Judaism now for you to be really saved. And Paul says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself, you Gentile believers, if you let yourself be circumcised, listen to this, listen to this. Christ will be of what? No value. Listen, the minute you pervert the gospel, you've negated the gospel of grace. The minute you circumcise yourself and say, now I have to adhere to the law to be righteous, the gospel of grace means nothing to you. That's a pretty powerful statement. But it gets worse. He says this. He goes on to say this. And I declared it to every man who lets himself be. And, and here, this isn't mankind, right? This isn't men and women. He's speaking to men, Right? Every man who lets himself be circumcised, that, he goes on to say this, he's obligated to a what? See, see, here's the thing about the perverted gospel. The perverted gospel that's based upon your performance sets you and I up to do nothing but fail. That's all it does. And guess who wins when you fail? Satan, because now you're in bondage to death, his domain 
his domain, which means Satan has top billing right along with God. You see, that's the problem with a perverted gospel. They were going to get there by being circumcised. You and I get there by being self-righteous and legalistic, right? Listen, if you're a Christian, you should never, ever, ever do these things, right? When I went to youth group, I've told you a hundred times, right? It was, you can't play cards, you can't dance, you can't have long hair, and you can't listen to rock music, right? You can't do these things, because if you do those things, and you say you're a Christian, you're not a Christian anymore. You know what those are? Those are perverted gospels. And we do it all the time. You can't have tattoos and be a Christian. You can't drink a beer and be a Christian. You can't smoke a cigarette and be a Christian. You can't watch an R-rated movie and be a Christian. We set all these things up and we say this. Your Christianity, the result of the gospel of grace is negated because you played poker Friday night. Now, does that make any sense to you? Now, listen, we can have a debate whether whether you should be playing poker or not. And I guarantee you, you'll come out of that by knowing you shouldn't play poker. But that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. That's the perverted gospel. These people were getting to the point that Jesus would have no value in their lives by circumcising themselves. Because the minute you create a perverted gospel, you have to be what? Perfect. Anybody here ready to be perfect to get to be saved? No. And if you think you're perfect, just slide down a couple chairs and ask the person next to you. I guarantee you nobody's going to get that. So he goes on to say this. You, listen, and this, this is us, this is the American church, has been forever. You who are trying to be justified, be saved by law, by doing the right things. If you're in here and you've ever tried to put yourself in a position to be right with God because you do all the right things, this is your perverted gospel. He says, you've become, that Greek word means to be cut off. You're no longer even connected to Jesus. And you'll be the person in Matthew 7 that says, but Lord, I went to church and I sat there and listened to court preach for an hour, right? I went on mission trips. I participated in worship. I gave my money. And you know what he's going to say? I don't even know who you are. You see, people ask, you know, people ask me all the time, are you saying once saved, always saved? I'm saying once saved, always saved because a person who stays connected to Jesus ain't ever lost. Right? Jesus said, if all of those that God's given me in my hand, I'm not going to lose any of them. But you know what you can do? You can negate the gospel of grace and be cut off of it from ever. Because he said, if you try to get justified by the law after accepting Jesus, you have been what? Do you understand how powerful that is? You've been cut off from Christ Just so he's clear, he says to them, you have, oh, you've fallen away from the thing that saved you. And if you read Hebrews, it says you can't ever get back. Do you know how important it is to live in the gospel of grace? It is everything about your faith. The most important thing you will do ever in your Christian life is live free in the gospel of grace that Jesus provides. Because the minute you pervert it into something that's man-made, man, you don't want that fate. You don't want that fate. Listen, and if you're a parent, can I just tell you as a parent, don't pervert the gospel to your children. 
Listen, if you want your kids to not be stupid, tell them not to be stupid. If you have rules, then just enforce your rules. But please, for goodness sakes, stop attaching religion to it. Stop attaching the gospel of grace to it. Because you know what grace is dependent upon? It's dependent upon Jesus. And all you got to do is believe in it. And guess what? Teenagers who've accepted Jesus do stupid things. Because adults who raise them do dumber things. Right? Listen, you want to know why a large generation of people don't come to church anymore? Because we perverted the gospel. We made people believe growing up, oh, if you do those things, you're not a Christian. Shame on every parent and every grandparent and every Sunday school teacher and every preacher that ever said that to somebody. Because it's not true. You know what negates my salvation? Being cut off from Christ. And you know how I do that? I listen to a perverted gospel. We've got to stop that. Are there things you and I shouldn't do as believers? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you don't believe me, just come back to listen to Joe. He'll tell you every one of them. Right? There's a million things we shouldn't be doing if we're believers. But there's only one thing we have to do to be saved. Believe with Jesus in our heart and confess it with our mouth. That's it. Everything else is a perverted gospel. And it causes you to fall away from grace. He goes on to say this. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Right? It's the Holy Spirit that makes it possible for us to hang on while we're waiting for this. Right? He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Leave that right there. Bring that verse back up. For in Christ Jesus, neither long hair or short hair is any value. In Christ Jesus, neither rock music or country music has any value. For in Christ Jesus, neither meat eaters or vegans have any value. For in Christ Jesus, neither tattoos nor no tattoos has any value. You hear what I'm saying? All of those things are perverted. There is no value in a man-made gospel. The only value comes in knowing Jesus. So he says in the next part of the verse, the, everybody read it. Stop. The what? Only thing. You know what that means in the Greek? The only thing. Do you know, do you know what that means? How many other things matter? If there's only, if only one thing that matters, how many others matter? None. So he says the only thing that matters in my relationship that stays connected to Jesus is that my faith, right, that connected me to God's grace expresses itself. Listen, you want to prove you're saved? Stop worrying about all the moral regulations that you already messed up that got you in a position and needed to be saved and start living your life as a person that loves the way Jesus loved. And you know what Jesus did to love? He laid down his life as a slave. You know why we serve? Because we've been set free. You know why we serve? Because we stay free. You want to know who doesn't serve? People who live in a perverted gospel. They ain't got time for it. Because they're too busy watching you. 
making sure you're doing everything right. Because they've already told themselves, we're doing everything right. Look at us. We got our right clothes on, right? We go to the church that sings the right songs with the right kind of music, right? We don't have smoke, for goodness sakes. The lights aren't flashing to where I'm having a stroke, right? And the decibels aren't 98.2, right? We do it right. We sing hymns because that's godly, right? We do it right. We sing contemporary Christian, but only 1990, right? We do it right. We say all of those crazy things. And the Bible says this, you want to know what reflects the gospel of grace in the life of a believer is that your faith expresses itself in what? In love. That's it. Paul says it this way in Romans 13, eight, he says, let no debt remain outstanding with other people except the continuing debt to what? To love one another for he That's pretty good. I'm almost done. For he, for he, listen to this, for he who loves his fellow man has what? You want to know how to, you want to know how to live a life that the law says is justified? You love your fellow man. And you know who loves? A person who's willing to lay down his life for other people. He goes on to say, I'm not going to read the rest of Romans. Now, I want to, I want to, I want to end this thing, right? We've been set free. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, listen, if you're set free online in here, it is your responsibility to stay free. And you know how you stay free? You live in the gospel of grace. And if somebody tries to pervert it by telling you there's all these things you got to do to be saved, walk away from them. Don't argue with them. Don't debate with them. Walk away from them. Have nothing to do with them. If you're listening to a YouTube video and a preacher starts preaching it, turn it off. Because it's not biblical. If you don't believe me, don't take my word for it. Read this. Take the word of God for what it says. Christ Jesus died once. He died for all. And it lasts for all eternity. Right? So... Get set free. Listen, if you're not free tonight, you're in here, you're watching online, you've never experienced God's grace. Listen, what are you waiting for? It's the best thing in the world right now, right? It's the best thing in the world, right? If you're online, push the button. I have decided if you're in here, there'll be people up front. We'll have that conversation with you. Get set free. And if you're in here and you're watching online, listen, you got to stay free. And if you're free, don't make your kids live in bondage to your perverted gospel. I've listened to parents' perverted gospel. There's a reason why millennials don't want to come to church. And there's a reason why Gen Z's don't want to come to church. And it's not because church is not cool. Have you paid attention to what we're doing in church? Have you seen the video wall? Do you know what kind of skill? Do you have any idea the kind of skill we put on the stage to, to, to lead people in worship and all the things that we do to help people, to, to help people feel like we're, we get where we're at in 2022? The reason people don't want to come is because they don't want to live in the perverted gospel. They want freedom. They want to know what it's truly like to be free from their own stupidity and their own failure and their own insecurities and their own shame. They want to know what that's like. And you know what the perverted gospel does? It makes them live in it more. And so they don't want to come to church anymore. We got to fix that. You know how we fix it? We don't have a college aid service so they can have their own thing. We just start living out our faith better. That's all we got to do. It isn't complicated. But then, but then here's the last thing. Not only do we get set free and stay free, but we have to understand this. We're no longer free. We're no longer free. Listen to what Galatians says in chapter five. He goes on. He says, my brothers, 
We were called to what? Be free. But do not use your freedom. Stop. That Greek word freedom, great Greek word. It is the picture of taking chains off of a what? Of a slave. It's a great, Paul's so amazing. He says, don't use your freedom. Don't use the thing that you got because somebody came along and unshackled your chains so that you could be free. He says, don't use that freedom to indulge the sinful nature. You want to know why you shouldn't go do some of these stupid things that are sinful? Not because you're going to lose your salvation, because your freedom wasn't designed for you to indulge the sinful nature. If you don't believe me, read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Right? Our freedom wasn't designed to go out and go, well, you know what? I'm free in Christ. I can go get drunk. I'm in freedom in Christ. I can say what I want to say. I'm free in Christ. I can, I can watch what I want to watch. No, your freedom wasn't designed to be selfish and indulgent. No. You know what he says? Look at this. Your freedom isn't to indulge the sinful nature. It's to do what? And here's the great thing. That word serve. Duleo comes from the Greek word doulos, which means you got your freedom so that you could become a what? To, to become a slave again. No wonder Christianity is frustrating. <laughs> right? I mean, let's be honest. No wonder it's so stinking hard. Because listen, you're, you're just like me. You live in the real world around real people. Do you have, I mean, listen, I don't have to ask you, do you have any idea how hard it is to be a Christian to other people? You know how hard it is. All you got to do is look at your spouse and go, I know. Right? I mean, think about it. You got freedom. You were a prisoner. You were dying. You earned it. You couldn't get out of it. Jesus came and guess what he did? He made himself a slave. Did he, did, was he, did he, did he have to? He was God. But he, he gave that away so he could be a slave for who? For all of us. How many people did he, did he die for? Everybody. He died to set every prisoner from that formula free. And he didn't do it so you could come up with a perverted gospel to keep it. He didn't do it so you could go to a church that says, here's the 27 things you got to do to prove that you're saved or to make sure that you stay saved. Stay away from those people. He did it so you could live in your freedom. And he did it so you could use your freedom to become a what? A slave again. And not just a slave. A slave to all. To all. Not just to people you like. Because Jesus said, what good does that do you? If you're just kind to the people that are kind to you, you're just like the world. Right? Our job is to be a slave to all. Well, we live in America. We got rights. This is a free nation, right? Man, it gets really complicated when we want to live in the freedom as American, when Christianity's freedom is to become a what? Nationalistic pride and Christian servanthood constantly run into each other. And what's going to win? It's a challenge we all have to face. But he said our job is to use our freedom to serve other people in love. Here's how Jesus did it. John 13. Bring that, bring that John 13 verse up. Here's what, here's what happened. Jesus is a day away from being arrested and crucified. Giving up his ownership rights of self-governance to other people. He's one day away from that happening. And just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world. 
And it says that he went and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He now showed them the full extent of his love, right? That evening meal, so they're in the upper room, right? The evening meal was being served. So this is that beautiful picture, right, that we always have of the Last Supper that Da Vinci made, right? The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot. So the devil's already won the conversation in Judas's heart, right? Son of Simon to betray Jesus. So he's already, he's already given his loyalty for 30 pieces of silver. Already in his heart he's done it. Jesus knows that. Says this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Right? High. High position. Listen, if you came from God and you're returning to God and all things are in your hand and you've got all power, is that a high position? Yes or no? Yeah. It's high position. He's in a room with 12 people. One of them has agreed to sell out his loyalty for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus knows it. Jesus gets up from the meal. He takes off his outer garment. Right? He wraps that around. He wraps a towel around his waist. So he takes off his, his, in our world, he takes off his suit jacket, right? He takes a towel and puts it around his waist. In an environment, socially, where the person who was the rabbi always got served. The rabbi never served those who came to listen to him. Ever. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. The job of the lowliest person in the room went to do the dirtiest job. And that's wash the feet of men who walked in the desert with sandals. That was their job. It says he dried them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You pick up the narrative now in verse 12 and it says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes Returned to his place. And then he said this. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher. right? You call me rabbi. You call me leader. right? You call me what puts me in a position of authority over you. He said you call me that. And you call me Lord. Not just teacher. But you call me Lord. And he says and rightly so. You know who I am. For that's what I am. And they said this. Now that I. Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. He says, because I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Stop right there. Bring that verse back up. Let's be clear. Jesus isn't saying that you should sit down and wash another person's feet. Again, that becomes legalistic. Have you ever washed a person's feet? Yeah, I have too. Do you think that's the only thing you have to do to show somebody else? No. Listen, if you've never done it, don't fabricate it. But if you're ever in an environment where it feels right and God's leading you to it, do it. It is incredibly humbling. Right? And you want to watch other people struggle? Wash their feet. Right? They struggle with that kind of servanthood. But there's a million ways. He's teaching us about a relationship between high and low. And he says it. I set you an example, so you should do as I've done. Then he explains it. He says this. I tell you the truth. No what? Doulos. No slave is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. That's us. We're his emissaries. Right? We're his representatives. 
We're the messengers now of that gospel. And he says the messenger isn't greater than the one who sent him. And if the one who's greater than the one who sent, if the one who sent us is greater than us, and he washed feet of somebody by becoming a servant, what should we do? He goes on to say this. Now that you know these things, you will be what? Listen, there's a part of our relationship with Jesus that never comes until we learn how to serve other people. But you can't serve other people. You cannot serve other people if you're not free in the gospel of grace. Because if you're living in the perverted gospel that puts you in a rat race of legalism and being judgmental, you'll never take the time to serve other people the right way. But man, if you're living in that grace, serve. Lay down your life for other people. Because the Bible says there is a spiritual blessing that comes with that that you can get nowhere else. Here's the last verse I want to read. Mark 9 says this. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. We covered that, right? Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and he said this. If anyone wants to be first, he's got to be the very last. And he's got to be what? That's how people who've been touched by the gospel of grace should live. Servant of all. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For making this so stinking hard. It is. Uh, man it's a challenge. Our natural flesh. Our natural tendency just has. Just has these. Selfish. These selfish things in us that want to live. And yet. Your goodness has provided us the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are grateful. That. You haven't just given us this charge. But you've given us this power. To live in that charge. So I pray for every person in here, Lord, to stand against perverted gospels, to live in the freedom that we have through Christ and the grace that he's given us so that we can do the very thing that saved us all. We can learn down to lay our life. We can learn to lay down our life for other people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.